Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 69. Bad dream, I guess. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 6 of Buffy, Wild at Heart, and series 5, episode 7 of Doctor Who, Amy's Choice. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> and that's all we have to say about this episode. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> uh, uh. That's yeah. pretty much my feeling about this episode. Yeah. So, before we get into why I feel that way, let's talk about the fact that Seth Green... Yeah. It seems, uh, is leaving the show at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we want to talk about the character, but also I think, at least for, like, the main characters, we want to sort of acknowledge them when they come and go. So, um, let's talk for a few minutes about Seth Green before we get to talking about Oz. <laughs> the disappointment that is Oz. Uh. Um all right. Yeah. So definitely. So, I mean, as bad as we can feel about Oz, I mean, I think the good thing that we can uh, feel is that it actually means for Seth Green that he was kind of moving on to uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. greener greener pastures, I guess. Uh, yeah. uh, didn't really mean that pun to be intended. But I, I was already committed when I realized I was saying it. So, um so, yeah, I mean, really, it boils down to uh, actually, apparently, in sort of the original concept for the season, um, the the whole Oz, Veruca, Willow triangle was going to sort of be played out over a broader arc. Oh, um, interesting. And, and that it really, so Seth Green sort of had some opportunities to do some other stuff. Um, he, and, and we were actually just talking about it before the... Uh, you know, before we start recording here, that even to this point, Oz, sorry, Oz, uh, <laughs> Seth Green, that is. They're interchangeable. Uh, yeah, is is actually at this point already sort of bigger than any of the other people currently on the show. Um, yeah. You know, from a recognizability, at least in the U.S. I mean, maybe uh, Anthony Head, you right. know, might have in England been, been bigger, you know, just from a general star perspective. But right. uh you know, Seth Green had at this point already been in uh, at least one of the Austin Powers movies and maybe this probably the second, I think, because that came right. out in 99 when when this episode was aired as well. Yeah, it was probably coming um, out around this time or something. Uh, and he had been in Enemy of the State uh, as a computer hacker. And so, you know, I mean, and, and other stuff as well. I mean, his career actually goes back even to the late 80s and early 90s. So, yeah. you know, sort of from a perspective of of knowing who he is, you know, people had a better idea. Uh, and it was in 99 that he uh, started his career on uh, Family Guy doing voiceover work. Um, there he, uh, you know, had that opportunity that ran uh, initially for like four years, which basically follows out the rest of Buffy, you know, as well. So like for, right. you know, while while stuff is going on here on Buffy, you know, Seth Green's over there doing Family Guy stuff and, and actually some other voiceover work, uh, which he has continued with like the robot chicken and all of that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, you know, a- again, as sort of sad as we are to see Oz go, like it's not 
you know, Seth Green is still sort of around and kicking and, and going on to other yeah. uh, arguably bigger things, although a lot of people still clearly know him from, from his Buffy years and still love him from his Buffy years. So yeah. it, very appropriate to sort of pause a minute and think about that. Um, yeah, I think I said at the... I think I said when we started, at least to you, if not on air, I guess, um, that he was definitely not only one of the names I knew in the terms of like, uh, you know, an act, like I knew the name of the actor and the character. Like I didn't maybe know a lot about what Oz was like, but I knew that there's this character called Oz and he's played by Seth Green, but also mm-hmm. know him from other things, not just know him as that guy from Buffy, but definitely, you know, from Austin Powers and Robot Chicken and all these other stuff. So, um, so I wasn't necessarily expecting him to leave in this episode, but once it kind of boiled down to that, I wasn't, um, hugely surprised because I do know that he had, you know, a lot of other things going on, like in terms of his career. And, you know, and I wasn't even, um, I think I kind of had a sense that he wasn't necessarily one of the characters that was going to stay the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, clearly a prominent character, but not necessarily the one who you, like, you know, that you just feel like is there from, you know, beginning to end, I guess. Right, um, right. So, again, I wouldn't have necessarily anticipated what that would mean or, you know, I, it wasn't like I was, you know, sitting there knowing what was going to happen or anything, but afterwards it was kind of like, it, I, like I'm thinking of it, like I, I didn't see it coming, but I'm not surprised now that it's happened, you know? So, uh, maybe there was a part of me that sort of knew he would leave eventually and just wasn't sure why or where that would happen or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and without giving anything away, I think it also, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can't help but love sort of Willow and Oz's relationship and the trajectory of, of how that yeah. goes. But this also opens up other opportunities to explore Willow's character in certain yeah, ways, too. Sure. So, like, so, like, there's definitely, and we can talk about even sort of some of the stuff that Willow goes through just in this episode, because I think there's some important stuff just in in sort of the way the character uh, yeah, and, develops and, and i and i do want to be clear you know uh whatever we feel about oz's actions in this episode certainly doesn't you know i i resist the tendency i see in fans sometimes to when a character does something of which they disapprove mm-hmm. um disavow that character and sort of banish them from their affection you know like clearly he's still a great character you know we can it's just because you know we've seen all the other characters screw up but just because he maybe screws up and then leaves the show doesn't mean that he's less of a character and less of an interesting character for it um and just because the way that their relationship ends isn't particularly happy doesn't mean that that's a flaw in the writing either. Like, when I say, uh, I'm not saying, like, oh, that was bad writing or that was a storyline that I disapprove of. You know, it's, like, those are two different things, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, but, and that's interesting, like you know. from from the story perspective, um, Joss Whedon. So apparently sort of the decision that Seth Green made to leave was somewhat sudden, like it was not, you know, well planned or whatever. But um, Joss Whedon has said that, you know, hearing this decision was a heartbreaker. And that's why he made Willow sort of break her heart because it was kind of the yeah. way he was feeling about right. Seth if, Green if leaving. Be, so like, if, and that makes sense. Tapping because into... If you're, yeah well it does make sense in retrospect that it is because it kind of feels sudden like it feels sudden in the writing like it feels like they're going along and Mm -hmm. happy and they're clearly the normal couple as compared to like especially in like um the harsh light of day where like you see them as the good couple contrasted to all these other problem couples and stuff. Right. And, and that's, that's only like a couple episodes ago. Right. I was going to say like it feels longer maybe because we're sort of doing the interspacing inter- them. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like three Angel, episodes but, ago or something. Right. It, it was only a couple episodes where we're holding them up, like you said, as sort yeah. of a model couple. So. so it's kind of like the suddenness of the decision is kind of reflected in the story. And it does, it's like, well, if you if you're if you as the writer are forced to scramble this solution together you might as well make that part of the story you know mm-hmm. so rather than let it be a mistake like oh this feels like they pulled it out of their butt overnight like make the fact that this was really sudden and you know like just hit willow like a train out of nowhere in the course of like you know a couple weeks you know mm-hmm make that part rather than like um try to stick to the original plan which would have been a longer more drawn out yeah. you know yeah story i guess um so this is actually the last episode where seth green is part of the credits uh i will say without being spoilery about it but you know because we've <laughs> sort of not talked we we try not to talk about when characters may or may not reappear but um i will say it's not the last time we see oz as a character so there is opportunity there um yeah just like you sort of hinted or or mentioned that you know like when jack you know first left and it's like well we know he'll come back at some point just won't say when or where so um yeah i i will give that yeah yeah just because characters leave on a full-time basis doesn't mean we won't see them again Um, necessarily and and I will also sort of mention that actually in in the comics, uh, Oz as a character returns as well, which of course is a lot easier because you don't have to worry about actors, <laughs> you know, uh, doing whatever. Like it, it's more in service to the story at that point. So yeah, um, two not really, I guess, sort of related things that I wanted to bring up uh, more because they're kind of funny. Don't really have anything to do with Oz leaving, but. Uh, or Seth Green leaving, but to have relation to Seth Green as an actor. One is, um, so that moment where they're, uh, first waking up, uh, him and Veruca are first mm-hmm. waking up, you know, sort of naked in the forest after their first romp in the, in the woods. Um, apparently he was, uh, quote naked except for a boy thong. Uh, <laughs> and that was apparently very uncomfortable for him because, uh, the actress Paige Moss, who plays Veruca, uh, her boyfriend was apparently visiting the set that day, so it was nice. like like this nice. very awkward. <laughs> oh, this is you know my co-actor here. Um, <laughs> uh, 
the other sort of weird thing is that um, the actress who plays Professor Walsh, uh, Lindsay Krauss, uh, had formerly, I don't even know when this was, uh, apparently played uh, Seth Green's mother in like an after school special you know, TV <laughs> show at one point. Okay. Um, so there's the moment where Oz here, dressed as sort of a werewolf, attacks uh, Maggie. And, you know, given like the whole sort of sexual nature of the episode, there's like some weird maybe like Freudian, weird Freudian in, stuff inter, intertextual yeah. you know thing going on here yeah. I mean I, obviously that's complete sort of just like fun crit fic type stuff yeah, yeah. but uh you know just kind of a something that has been pointed out anyway um yeah that's kind of funny so uh <laughs> yeah these you know I mean obviously again like Oz as a character Seth Green as an actor we don't necessarily want to see leave but but I think Actually, the story that they create out of it is pretty, pretty good and, and yeah, uh, you know, sad, definitely. But but I think well done anyway. So we, let's maybe talk about that uh, a bit. Okay. Where would you like to begin? Well, uh, I mean, I think we kind of just need to talk about Oz, Bruca and Willow sort of all together. Um, so... Uh, well, I guess where I'd like to start is it's kind of interesting to me that um, when we see Veruca in the beginning, um, in in the bronze, when they're when she's singing and they're all there, it, it was interesting to me that, you know, Oz is still staring at her, he's still focused, you know, he mm-hmm. kind of seems, like, to be either faking his own intensity or, like, he, he doesn't quite realize that this is obvious because like when Willow asks like, Oh, they're good. Aren't they? He's like, eh, nothing special. So like, you know, he's, you know, there, there's like a disconnect between his willingness to admit his own attraction yeah. and stuff. But what's really interesting is it's not just him. <laughs> yes. That Giles and Xander and presumably other men in, in the bronze are very drawn to her as well. Maybe not quite as strongly as Oz, but you know, noticeably. Yeah. Um, Like, and it's not just Giles's thing of, oh, she's, you know, self-possessed for her age, but, like, there's that shot of them, like, staring at her in the same way that Oz is, and Buffy kind of makes a face, like, what is going on? So that's kind of interesting. I wasn't quite sure where to go with that, because they make it kind of clear that we do find out that she is a werewolf, which we sort of you know, that wasn't, you know, completely uh, the most well-hidden secret before. Like, that, you know, you kind of could have... Yeah. You kind of got that impression. It, that right. there was it this wasn't, sort of, like... It wasn't explicit until now, but it, it yeah. definitely was pretty much sort of the assumption. Uh, yeah, because the attraction yeah. seemed on a more sort of, I guess, animalistic level than like just you know your eyes meet across a crowded room kind of thing you know so Mm -hmm. so it's weird that then you see her you know having that influence over you know people who aren't werewolves as well um so yeah and and i think so you're right that there is sort of a weirdness there i my sort of interpretation of that has always been that it's you know, so the metaphor here yeah. is, is the, you know, the animal inside, like, you know, 
every man, no matter how sort of nice and sedate and, you know, respectful he is, has a beast inside of him that is just waiting to burst out and, you know, whatever. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, so the the end of that sentence kind of got away from me there. Um, (laughs) But the, uh, so I think that's sort of what they're playing on. Like, even though Giles and Xander can't, detect Veruca in sort of as sort of you know a fellow werewolf in the way that Oz can yeah like there is sort of that idea that underlying is the predator even you know for someone like Giles who you know is the good upstanding you know father figure type person um and I mean clearly Xander is you know as the body you know just always has that sort of thing going on um, which, you know, we don't see Anya anywhere, right? So, you know, for him, it's just right. like, yeah, he's out and he's hoping, you know, yeah. co-eds right. are attracted to the townie. Sexy townies. <laughs> exactly, right? So he's he's just sort of always on the prowl, so to speak, kind of yeah. literally. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's maybe a slightly more overt than necessary but i don't know maybe not like i i think that's just where we're supposed to sort of see that even though this episode is focused on oz as you know the one who changes into the werewolf that it's really sort of all men like yeah. that it's you know that that's there that's sort of underlying yeah it it, it makes it like because i think a lot of this episode is kind of about you know it kind of boils down to him sort of admitting that well, most of the episode is about him denying the fact that, like, like he's trying to keep these two things separate, and he is insisting on the fact that they are totally separate. Whereas at the end, the sort of conclusion is that, actually, there's a lot of blurred lines here. You know, so maybe what it kind of suggests is that the attraction to her isn't... Because you could just write it off as, well, he's a werewolf. It's not his fault. You know, like... He can't help himself, and it really is just the animal. He has no control, you know, it's a compulsive thing, and, you know, that kind of absolves him of the responsibility, whereas, you know, that might be somewhat true, but if you see that she, you know, has this effect on other guys, then potentially it puts a little bit more of that responsibility, you know. It kind of hints at the fact that there's a level on which he's attracted to her, you know, personally, rather than because they're of the same species or something. Right, right. Like, it's... Yeah, exactly. I um, was going to expand on that, but I think, yeah, you've got it. Um, <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And Ruth so, is all about that, right? Because she completely has gone the other direction, and the lines aren't blurred. There is no line. Like, it's all her, you know, humanity and her uh, animal monstrosity are all one thing to her. Like, there's no difference. She's just sort of embraced it and made them all, you know. Um, So if, if Oz is sort of in denial, then she's kind of gone into this, like, hedonistic, like, embrace of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, her own desires no matter how you know bad they might be yeah and and 
even to the point of being not just being okay if other people sort of get harmed in her pursuit of pleasure, but actively harming or attempting right. to harm people for her own pleasure. Yeah. Like, which is maybe a fine line, fine distinction, but I think is sort of an important one because, you know, it also sort of brings in the question. So if, if every guy has this in them, does every woman have it right, in right. her too? You know, yeah. so like, uh, you know, is there, is it just a human thing? Like, is it even a guy versus girl thing? Which right. I think, and you talk, not you, but people talk about, you know, rape culture and, you know, stuff that happens on campuses. And I think, you know, you can get into some of that in this episode, you know, but there is the question there of, of how much is it really a gender-based thing versus, and I'm trying to be careful because I know I can get into a lot of trouble with sort of the way I position is here. You know, you, there, there, there are ways in which either gender can act in which there are things that are permissible and things that are not permissible. <laughs> Is that like way too generic of a way of saying what I'm trying to get across? Or am I even like making any sense in what I'm trying to say here? Um, but no, do, do I you, think I get you, what you're saying. Do, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's to blame solely one gender or the other, which seems to be what it tends to boil down to in a yeah. lot of the conversation is clearly not right. And so like, you, yeah. you know, no, I mean, I think really... there's, there's a difference. I mean, I think where the rape culture thing can get kind of, uh, hairy is, you know, the suggestion of like the victim blaming of, you know, well, you know, she, she asked for it, you know, she right. wanted it. She it's, it's, well, she didn't dress like that. If she didn't act like that, you know, whatever, you know, and I think that's where people rightfully get sort of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, offended. But, um, but that's not to say that women don't contribute to rape culture, you know, yeah. maybe in slightly different ways, but, um, but there are like notions of, you know, behavior which are contributed to by both genders i think and especially on college campuses yeah um so and 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 it's sort of a and even the the whole rape culture talk here is maybe not entirely you know the right way to talk about it because like this is veruca wanting oz to you know right engage in various acts with her so right. it's not even like right. it's not She's even not about exactly... that. Like it's, but I think that 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 conversation can go there because you know you are talking about sort of the beast within and and sort of her encouragement and her willingness to hurt Willow in particular, but you know, yeah. probably others as well as part of it, um, or at least her unconcern about others getting hurt involved is is sort of what she's telling us that he should be doing. So it's, there's a way there in which she's, she's almost advocating that same sort of, you know, hurt or, or uncaringness about yeah, definitely. what, what his actions do to other people. Um, yeah. You know, whether I mean, it's rape or whether it's through sort of breaking of, you know, his relationship with Willow, which is a trust and uh, you know, they're not married or anything, but there's still obviously a trust and, and a, and a, you know, um, 
sort of understanding or whatever between them that, you know, you're not going to do this sort of thing. So, yeah, no, Varig was definitely, you know, it, it's neither she nor Oz are like without responsibility. Like clearly like, you know, she, I mean, definitely it, in the beginning is much more intentional than he is. You know, she seems to remember, you know, at least at first, remember her experience better than him and to, like, seem to want it. Um, and, you know, it, it's him that kind of, like, you know, and it's not like, I mean, I think we can go through and see where it's not like he really prevents it from happening, you know, and in and by the end, he even sort of actively, you know, makes yeah. it happen. But the first time, you know... When he first breaks out of the cage and he wakes up in the forest, he really doesn't know where he is right away. You know, right. there really is a sense in which it was, you know, accidental, you know, and yeah. where, you know, he, if anything, he's a little bit more the victim there. Um, yeah. And it, so it, and it sort of reminds me of like, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, two people get drunk and are consensual, right. but neither of them remembers it in the morning kind of right, thing. Right. Or only one of them does, you know, right, who's right. kind of at fault in that situation or is anybody like it, you know, it's, it's one of those, one of those weird things. Um, and, and the other thing being that, I mean, Veruca does remember it and it seems like we don't ever get actual confirmation of this, but it, it seems like she has been a werewolf longer like that. She, Right. Has has more control over what she does, whether she actually controls herself or not. She's right. at least capable of more control. And, you know, because she can remember it in the morning and because, you know, she seems to. She seems to have enjoyed it, which implies maybe that she also enjoyed it and knew what was going on at the time. You know what I yeah. mean? Like like there. So there does seem to be a little more. um complicity there on her part um yeah yeah no she kind of says like when you know oh you know it it doesn't really happen at first but it'll come back to you eventually you know whether she means like i wasn't quite sure whether she meant this like this event will eventually you know like come back to you in your memory sure. or whether she means that the longer you're a werewolf and maybe the more you indulge in your you know desire the greater clarity you'll get, you know, in your ability to control and remember, like it could be a, you know, once you're as experienced as me, you know, then you'll be right. able to remember these sorts of, and, and maybe that's a fuzzy, maybe it's both, you know, or maybe it's not quite clear what she means there. Um, um and but it's definitely the... she seems more practiced, I guess, or at right. least she's acting like she is. It's the second way that I've always sort of taken that, but you're right. I mean, I guess it is a little bit ambiguous and it could be more like it'll come back to him, you know, that specific event. Although the reason I don't think that is because he seems to never really remember what happens to him when he turns into a werewolf. Like right. other times before this, like he doesn't, he doesn't really seem to, to have remembered. So I, that's why I sort of think it's more like the long-term thing. Like the more yeah. you're a werewolf, the better you get at remembering what happened. Yeah. 
yeah. it's not that he'll necessarily ever remember what happened that particular night. But I could be wrong. And and I think you're right that it is a bit ambiguous the way she sort of explains it. So um, I think there's room for interpretation there. Um, yeah. So you you alluded to the, you know, second time when he sort of lures her into the cage what are your thoughts on and that? And this is when the errors come out. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, because it, it's... I think um, what kind of really, like, sold it to me is the fact that more than once, um, like, to Buffy and then again to Willow once he's sort of caught red-handed... He repeats that line about red, red something. Yes. Red. Yeah. Um, <laughs> red cheeked. Yes. Uh, Sorry. Let's change something. Um, uh. <laughs> he, re- he repeats the line about uh, like when, when Buffy first asks, like, do you remember anything? No, no. You know, once I change, it's like, I'm gone. You know, and he says it so definitively, like I have no, like, you know, he's, I don't know how much that's true, and, like, even if it is, that sounds a little defensive to me. Like, it's kind of a, don't hold me responsible for the things that I do while I'm changed kind of thing. And then again, you know, when Willow confronts him about it, you know, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Once I'm changed, I'm gone. And it's like, by that point, the defense is so thin, you know, because... You know, clearly he set this up ahead of time, you know, and maybe with mixed motives, you know, maybe with a genuine desire to keep her safe from Buffy. Although, yeah. what's Buffy going to do? Buffy's going to tranquilize her. Buffy's not going to hurt her, you know, like, so even that is a flimsy argument, you know. Right, right. A little bit better of an argument is keeping other people safe from Veruca, who goes out and attacks people. But then you also have this added layer of knowing she's going to be in there with him, knowing what's going to happen. Even if he doesn't remember it, he knows what's going to happen. And Um, the fact is they start kissing before either of them changes. And then if there was any doubt at all, they start kissing beforehand. So it's sort of like a infer goose into fur gear, whatever the thing is. Like if you're going to like, if I'm going to do it anyway, might as well do it while we're human as well. Um, you know, so there's really no pretense that it's purely a animal thing that they're like, you know, he indulges himself even before they change. So, yeah. Well, and and so, I mean, I guess that is kind of surprising. Like I wasn't, I wasn't expecting them to break up, but even if I was, I don't know that I would have expected the story to have, because he is normally so, um, I think you said respectable earlier. Like, he is so kind of dispassionate and and loyal to Willow and sweet and calm and not someone who, in his human state, follows, like, you know, whims of passion or something. Like, yeah. um... So to have them, you know, to have him go that far and to go that far, like, intentionally, like, not just, oh, he didn't realize or, oh, you know, she tricked him into it. But, like, by the end, have him actually 
you know, I guess delude himself into making a choice that, you know. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there is, there is a, so, I mean, you know, you, you know, you think of like sort of how affairs happen or whatever, you know, and it's like, there are those ones that are sort of planned and then there are the ones that are unplanned, but it's like the longer, like Willow says, like, you know, you, you did have a choice. Like there was a point where you made a choice. And even if like the first time, like you said, kind of wasn't his fault. He got out of his cage, stuff happened and he woke up and realized and like tried to sort of correct it. And, maybe correct isn't the right word, but you know, even at that point, like if he didn't remember what happened, like I could almost like at least see him sort of self justifying. Like, I don't really remember what happened. And so I'm just, I'm not going to assume the worst happened. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Okay. So we woke up naked in the woods with scratches all over ourselves. It could have just been a fight. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe we just fought until we got tired and now here we are. But like, by the second time, like not, not telling anyone that he got out, you know, letting right. Buffy sort of find out on her own. Yeah. Where, where, you know, whereas before, like, I don't like people kind of knew about it right away. And he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. Like, like this thing happened and, you know, I hope no one gets hurt. And we still like, I, you know, the hard thing is, cause I mean, like he doesn't want to hurt people. We know this, right? Like right. he's not definitely actively and he's you know he's worried about how to you know better enforce the cage and you know reinforce the cage or whatever and and but then it's like you said there's this not exactly a lie because he doesn't really remember what happened but he it's a lie he by also omission. he doesn't right he doesn't offer any additional information because yeah he does know about a second one and he yeah. not only knows about it he knows who it is yeah. And also, you know, hey, you woke up naked next to her in right. the woods. Like, yeah, yeah you like know, you were, t- of... you know, you were together and you know that these two dogs right. were together and everything. So there is, like you said, there is that lie of omission and, and there is. But then there's like the. The more explicit lies of. You know, Willow's asking what's wrong and he's yeah. just like. I'm tired yeah, from last I'm, I'm night. I'm tired. I'm fine. Yeah. You know, I'm fine. And and so there, you know, there are these opportunities. And and I think that's the thing that sort of gets me um, is that, you know, you, you can understand sort of why he makes each choice and sort of digs himself in deeper. But at the on, on the other side of things, when you're when you're looking at it from an outside perspective. Yeah. Yes, it would be trouble maybe for you to admit yeah. that. But there it's never it's in these sorts of situations it seems to me there is never really a good reason to continue the lie that the right. earlier you sort of admit the truth and right. the full truth and nothing but the truth <laughs> like that there yeah yes it could be hard to work through but it's it's never going to get easier it's right, always right. going to get harder get worse. the more yeah, lies you I make think- and I think what what is frustrating about it is, like you said, the fact that, uh, like he could tell Buffy, like like there, it wouldn't be even that terribly hard to get out of it. Like so, you know, like yeah, you're conflicted and you're not quite sure how you feel, but if you just let Buffy know that 
you know, there, I know that there's another werewolf out there. Like, how much trouble could he have saved himself by that one thing? You know, like, it's not like he, he doesn't, it, it, I don't want to say it's an easy out in the sense that there wouldn't be any issues to work through, but in a way, you know, there is an easy out and it would prevent it's him from certainly an easier, easier than what he ends yeah. up having to, because, you know, he doesn't 100% know what happened and he wasn't 100% intentional about it. Whereas that's not true by the time we get to the end of the episode. By then, you know, not only is he cheating on Willow, he's doing it intentionally and knowingly, you know. Um, yeah. And again, Willow's yeah. absolutely right to say, you know, you you made a choice. Like there yeah. were, and not just a choice, like there were multiple choices that, that led to this. And yeah. any any appeal you might have had to i didn't know what i was doing is completely down the drain i mean it's right. you know and, there, right. and there's and that had same people and you've had people asking you the whole episode are you okay do you know of any other werewolves like you had people kind of asking him mm-hmm. you know kind of giving him the opportunity to you know ask for help and mm-hmm. you know in his sort of stoic way he ignores them all or chooses not to mm-hmm. you know i mean that's kind of an oz thing would be just deal with your own problems don't really like you know i don't think oz is the one to kind of ask the others you know for help necessarily yeah. um or or be the most open about you know because he's not normally the one with a lot of drama so, right. you know, he's not the one to run to the others when drama happens. He'd rather sort of brood on it and um, mm-hmm. work on his issues himself. Um, yeah. It does not go well. And I think that's what's frustrating about it is, and again, this isn't like a writing problem. This is more just like the frustration of the character that you can see yeah, so yeah. many ways where you had the opportunity to do the right thing, like over and over again, you know. You know, Mm -hmm. you see that opportunity and he just doesn't take it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And and that moment where Willow is like crying and she goes, you know, I knew you jerk. Like, yeah, like, you know, I knew there was maybe I didn't know the particulars, but I knew there was something going on. And, right, and she's there second guessing herself. I don't want to be the jealous mm-hmm. one. I don't want to do, and then she knew, like she in something in her gut yeah. told her, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Talk about like an animal instinct. Like, yeah, she just could tell. Um, but that moment too of where, where she's describing how it feels, and then Oz is like, "I know, I remember," and I like know. brings and that I, whole thing up. And it's, and I wondered. I thought that was interesting because, you know, it's not like. Like, that didn't, like, go away the next week. Like, they definitely had the couple kind of work through that, Mm -hmm. you know? They, like, made sure that they didn't just get over it overnight or anything. But we haven't had that brought up in a while. So I kind of wonder, do you think Oz, is that part of his self-justification? Is there, is there a part of him which, which, you know, maybe does see this as something he's owed or you know or do you think yeah it's Hmm. it's purely being empathetic with willow and saying 
not trying to throw it in her face, but saying, I understand how you feel. I know you're upset. I don't blame you for being upset. You know, that's yeah. how he seems to mean it. I. But then the very fact that he brings it up, you know, makes you wonder if that's been hiding under the surface somewhere and waiting for an opportunity to get brought up, you know? Yeah. I, so my, I would say there's probably a middle ground. Right. <laughs> um, and and as, we'll probably as with, never get like a definitive. Like, yeah. As, as with most things. Cause I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like... people don't even really know when you get in a fight with someone, you start picking old, old scabs that are, you know, like, you know, 10 years old or whatever. Like you don't even necessarily know why you say the things you do in a, like he might yeah. he might not even have said that intentionally as like a you know well I, right and that, and that's sort of what like I think I think so here's my take on it I guess yeah. I d- if if it was like I don't I wouldn't say that he like planned it like oh right. if if Willow brings up how bad she feels about me doing this sort of thing I'm right. gonna I've got bring my up the fact jail free card yeah, yeah that you know, she and Xander kissed a few times. Yeah. Like, I don't think that he actively thought that. I think in the moment, it, I don't think it was a wholly empathetic feeling of, I understand what you're going through because I've gone through this before too. Right, like, right. you know, like, yeah, it just so happens you know, that two I was friends, on the receiving end of it from you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, 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 right. It's not like two friends saying, Oh my gosh, that happened to me too. Yeah. It's, it was, it was, meant i think as a jive and i think i think almost the not quite flippant but maybe the 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 off the cuff way that he says it does imply that it's still somewhat close to the surface i think like even though it might not be you know occupying his daily thoughts because we do get right i mean we sort of get different senses from Oz, right? Like thinking back to Earshot when Buffy listens into his conversation, yeah. you know, you get this like deep philosophical, you know, yeah. he's thinking, you know, about existence yeah. and this and that. Yeah. Um, but then you also get the sense that he's usually fairly calm in his own mind, like that, yeah. even though he's thinking maybe deep thoughts or whatever, like that it's he's not. At, he's at peace with his own. Uh, right. Um, elimination, you know. And. And I think even the moment in this episode where, you know, he says to Willow, you know, it's always so busy in there is meant to be sort of a contrast to his own. Now, I mean, everybody has their own inner monologue and no one really sort of knows what the other person's is like, you know, even as much as you might talk to them or whatever. Um, So it's hard to say, but I think I think if I were to. This way I, that I interpret is no, you know, it's not like he's constantly thinking about it and looking for an opportunity to throw it in her face. On the other hand, it seems clear based on how he says it and the mm. quickness with which it comes out that it's not something that he's completely gotten over either. Yeah. So, yeah, that's because uh, I had kind of, I wasn't really thinking about it through the episode. Like, I wasn't right. sitting there through the episode thinking, oh, this is him cheating on her, just like she cheated on him or anything. Right. But, like, when he when he brought it up, it did kind of suggest that, like, oh, that's closer to the surface than maybe they realized, you know? Mm-hmm. That they maybe weren't aware of how um, much of a, you know, sticking point that's still... And, and him as much as her, you know, like, 
Yeah. It wasn't necessarily premeditated, but once the issue's brought up, you know, it it kind of comes out pretty quickly, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I I don't know cuz like it's again, we don't Yeah. get Oz's thoughts really uh but I I that would just sort of be my interpretation. Um I want to say too that like Willow's point is obviously extremely valid and I think spot on because, you know, she says that doesn't compare like this is not only way worse, but like we were also in a very different place at that time. Like right. what we have now is not what we had back then. And also I, she doesn't say all this, obviously she yeah. says it much more succinctly, but I think these are the things we can read into it. Yeah. You know, also her and Xander, you know, maybe making out once or twice. And in the moment that they are caught, they believe that they're about to die. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, th- and also, also, that. I think her, she knew Xander for a lot longer and they were a lot closer. So, you know, that again, that's not an excuse, but it kind of, yeah, you know, that's someone that she had feelings for, for a long time, you know? So, there's a sense in which right. she is closer to Xander. You know, she knew him longer. She's felt things for him longer. Mm-hmm. So there's more of a, like, I don't know. Again, it doesn't excuse it, but there's something, you know, which is different than, you know, uh, this this girl who he really doesn't know at all. You know, the attraction is purely surface and recent it's not someone he has any sort of connection or relationship to um Mm -hmm. so it's not someone that you can kind of be lulled into like you know feeling a lot of things for it's clearly more of a kind of attraction you know thing yeah so i think that makes a slight difference too and the fact that he goes much farther with it and you know yeah um and even the, uh, you know, the moment where where Willow sort of asks him, you know, you wanted her more than you wanted me. And he's kind of like doesn't respond yeah. right away. So it, yeah. it, which is confirmation that that actually it seems like is true. You know, even if it's at a completely visceral, you know, emotional, sexual level, like there is just that idea that. Um, you know, like Willa says, she's like, you know, I've I've had thoughts about guys too, but there's a difference there and not like I don't act on them. <laughs> you know, I don't right. go after them. I don't, you know, engage. Uh, right. Well, and you kind of imagine that she means it like, oh, that guy's cute. You know, not like like. Yeah. I'd, and I mean, but even if she meant, you know, even if she had like worse thoughts than, oh, she's or, or, oh, he's cute or whatever, like. Again, there's it like that's the cutoff is the thinking it and yeah. then you leave it alone. Like Yeah, no, it's the it's the sort of acting on it. Yeah. Well and, and the acting on it and the hiding it and the lying about it and well <laughs> all and, of those and things together. The hiding yeah. it and not only hiding it like like not only hiding it and like, you know, cutting himself off, but like going out of his way to be around her. You know? Going, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure to go to all her gigs, skipping class to go, you know, hang out with her band. Like putting himself in situations that he knows are uh, tempting, you know? Mm. Yep. Yep. 
though. So. Um, and then the sort of the final scene with the two of them together of him packing to leave, um, I thought was interesting too, because then you get Willow coming in. Not that she's like ready to forgive him, but it seems like, like with the whole Xander thing and whatever, you know, Oz had to take some time and like, there was even, you know, like her coming around to say, Oh, you know, have you thought yet about (laughs) what you want to do and that kind of stuff? And then, you know, sort of he, he eventually comes around, but, um, she comes right away. And even though you don't necessarily know what she's going to say, like sort of their conversation is like, are you know, she's like, are we not even going to like talk about this? And he's just like, no, I've made a decision. I'm leaving. And it's like, there's this idea that even as bad as she felt like they're, she's reaching out again right away to say, is there a way to sort of that we could save this? You know what I mean? Like that seems to be the reason why she's coming back to his room. Um, We don't know because the conversation is kind of dominated by him saying that he's going and there's no way to talk about it. So, yeah. Yeah. No, we're not quite sure what she was going to say, but it seems like over and over again in the episode, again, these moments where he has an opportunity to make a different choice because she keeps coming to him, you know, Mm -hmm. she doesn't always know what to say, you know, and she's not always the most honest about how she's feeling, but you see her consistently reaching out to him and trying like, Mm -hmm. you know, she tries to talk. She, she tries to sit down with them at the cafe and get involved in the conversation, even though she's uncomfortable about it you know she tries to dress you know differently and you know uh she even kind of like apologizes for being weird and she you know wants to you know maybe make him feel a bit better and he kind of spurns her then she comes down in the morning with like her thermos you know and finds them in the cage you know so she's going out of her way to like keep coming back um And then again, you know, at the very end, she doesn't just let him go. She comes clearly to talk to him about, Mm -hmm. you know, to try to talk to him about what's going on. So, yeah, she definitely seems more... Well, and I guess what it boils down to is that it's Oz's issues, not hers necessarily. So, in that sense... in that Well, and in that sense, like, it's a shame that she didn't like you know you you kind of would like her to to see her being part of the decision you know and not to be completely just you know dropped and rejected but at the same time it's more about his issues so i suppose if that's his decision there's not much you know that he you know like i don't know what there would be to really talk about because it's not so much about their issues as a couple it's more about you know him being very confused Mm. yeah but she so so he's kind of in this you know i need to go get myself straightened out frame of mind whereas she's thinking more of the couple like okay what did we do how can we how are we gonna fix this this? Yeah. yeah yeah it's a it's a big bummer it is. It's what it is. Yep. Um, maybe we should say one or two things about other characters. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, and not that I think we've been wrong to talk about because I mean, clearly yeah. this is the big, you know, thing um, here. So before we sort of move off of Oz and Veruca and Willow, um, I wanted to bring up just sort of the interactions with Professor Walsh and Riley. Um, yeah. I guess we already sort of mentioned the Professor Walsh one um, in the production notes <laughs> portion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she gets attacked and, um, you know, sort of has this, uh, you know, uh, experience with these two wild dogs and yeah. doesn't seem to know what they are and yeah, um, tells Buffy about it. So I don't, I mean, there's not much there, just kind of, you know, we don't, it, it's another thing where we don't see her in class. Oh, although we do get the, the Buffy, um, right. Buffy's you know, getting... leading, Right, Buffy got good marks on her homework. Yeah, yeah. and Willow is academically jealous of her. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's a funny moment there. But yeah, I mean, again, it's just more, you know, noticing that she's kind of around and being this uh, person who uh, sort of is getting involved in various things. Um, Riley saves Willow from right. the car. Uh, again, being his sort of benefit. I don't know, beneficent, older, sweet, senior classman that he is. Like, <laughs> I'm waiting for the rug to pull out on that one, though. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. a little burned by Parker. Yeah, maybe. It's like that line in but the yeah, like, who I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy her nice old lady act. I, like, I don't know that I buy Riley's nice upperclassman act. But, okay. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's a great guy. But, you know, but it seems like he's there to kind of, he keeps bumping in and kind of doing nice things, you know, like he bumps in to give Buffy some, you know, words of wisdom and he steps in just at the moment to save Willow from the car. So it's sort of like he's hovering around waiting to like do nice things. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know whether that's just because they're finding ways to work him into the plot and not let us forget about him, or whether that's, like, significant. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it could be either. Right. And so, yeah, right. It's more just about noticing that he's sort of around. Yeah. Uh, Professor Walsh is around. There's also, so then we have this third element of people who are sort of around <laughs> in the uh, masked men yeah. who... Uh, they keep bumping into this time, quite literally uh, Buffy r runs into one of these guys in the woods uh, when she's chasing after Oz um, to try to find Veruca. And, and this other guy in the mask and the guns and whatever is like running the other way. And there's sort of a scuffle and they get up and each of them keep continuing to run off. But um, I mean, you've noticed them before. Obviously we've, yeah. we've sort of seen them uh, in various episodes throughout uh, this time, though, now we're sort of prompted to realize that Buffy has sat up and took notice, yeah. uh, taken notice, uh, especially at the end there where she's sort of explaining to Giles about them. And he's asking, you know, a couple questions here and there. And, and she's like, well, I, I remember them from the Halloween. Right. I almost said from the Halloween episode. She remembers them from Halloween. <laughs> um, we remember them from the Halloween episode um, yeah. and just thought that they might be in costume, but of course we saw them before that too. So, you know, we know from an audience perspective that they've been around um, and we see them at the, so they sort of 
frame this episode too, right? Because we see them in the beginning uh, with Spike, um, which is a hilarious opening scene. Great scene, yeah. Yeah, and it, it fits into my theme of Spike being like increasingly frustrated in his villainy. Like he <laughs> he's kind of lost his steam a little bit, you know? Like, like because, you know, he was certainly not quite the big bad of his season, but certainly one of them, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, each time we see him, he seems a little bit, like, less effective. <laughs> and so, like, you know, you kind of get him, like... It sort of uh, reminds me of the opening of the Angel episode from the other week where he's watching over Angel and mocking mm -hmm. him, you know, and, like, making fun of him and everything. But this time... So you're led to, like, he's like, oh, the the big bad is back in this time. And then he can't even finish his sentence because he gets sort of electrocuted and carried yeah. away and you don't see him for the rest of the episode. So he can't <laughs> even, he can't even finish his villain monologue and he doesn't even get to be the villain in his own, you know, right. like he's aware that he's the villain of the story, but like the story kicks him out. Like yeah. he's not even the villain of the story. He's completely right. wrong about that. Um, um so I would I would say continue sort of noticing um this trajectory, this sort of emasculating, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. trajectory that, that you're noticing in Spike and and one, see if that holds up or if it's just sort of, you know, a, a weird number of events. Or and two, like if so, like how does that affect his character and, and you know, what are sort right. of the ways that that that's because you're right i mean we do get this and i mean you know it could just be a joss whedon thing but i think the yeah. fact that he's electrocuted by these guys in mass and we're we're not only continuing to see them but just the fact that they're in like three sort of prominent places you know this episode yeah. two where we actually see them one where we're actually talking you know seeing characters talk about and notice them uh right. you know there's a trajectory there too, it seems. So like, yeah, yeah, they're getting you, more you, prominent. Yeah. You know, is what's, what's sort of the, um, I guess I would ask you, so in the ways that we've seen them thus far, is there anything that you can sort of connect between? I know we've only seen them very briefly, but, but what is your sort of impression? Like, what do we, of what we know about them to this point? Well, uh, the masked men. It seems like, they know they're targeting, like, monsters, right? Like, not just regular students, but, like, the first time we saw them, they kind of nabbed one of the vampires from, like, that that click at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then th we see them a couple other times, but we don't really see what happens, like, who they take. But the fact that one of them, we saw a vampire, and now it's Spike is a vampire again... I think that's probably intentional, you know? So I think they're, you know, scouring the campus for, you know, either just vampires or maybe, like, any sort of monster in general. Um, so that's the only thing I have right now. Yeah. It's kind of okay. clumsy. He bumps into Buffy. <laughs> And right, but doesn't, doesn't seem concerned about... He doesn't about... seem to want to fight Buffy, because they both each grab their guns and run the other way. Like, they, it was more just like, 
an accidental collision. It kind of seemed like it didn't seem like he mm. was attacking her. Um, right, right. It was just she happened to run into him. And they're not interested in the students because we've seen them wander on campus. They saw them at Halloween. Like, they're not going after anybody. It seems like they're collecting, you know, the supernatural beings or something. But I don't have any guesses yet. We don't really have any indication as to why. Right. Yeah, okay. Just curious. Um, That's all I got. And then, um, don't get much about Giles, but you wanted to mention sort of his yeah. <laughs> uh, popping up in at the bronze. Yeah, there's like and... this little this little theme of Giles being like a stay at home person now, and now, and we've kind of got reference to that. Like he has more time to do his interests, like to go to the library and to run and do. But now. He seems a little stir crazy that he comes to the bronze, you know, cause he can't like, I love that line from Xander that isn't, Oh, isn't home that empty place you're trying to escape. Like he's, yeah. and when he's at home, he's like eating stuff in his sweats and what, and yelling at the TV and stuff. Like he's not even <laughs> doing proper Giles research. Like he's right. not filling his days with like, you know, magical occult books he's like watching jeopardy <laughs> we've all been there hey, I mean, you know i'm not judging i'm just saying <laughs> i'm just saying yeah. he might not be ready for unemployment yet you know he right. seems a little like the the blooms off the rose and and like he even gets like excited when buffy comes over with bad news like he'll have a project to work on so, right right Yes, he seems um, like he it it he's a little bored. So right, right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll have to go get a job or something. I'm not sure what, what he's going to do to fix that. But yeah. it's funny. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I don't have anything particular to add to that. It's worth noticing, but um, we'll we'll see what Giles. But but it is. I mean, there is sort of a struggle there. I think with both Giles and Xander to kind of include them in the storylines yeah. a bit, um, just from sort of a writing perspective. So yeah, it's like, how do you bring both of them sort of in, in a more natural way, I think right. is, is what's something that the writers sort of have to figure out uh, yeah. in this season a bit more than obviously before where they were both naturally sort of in At the same place. At school all the time. Yeah. I, I, I Xander's, a uh, dispute where he's withholding rent is funny too. Um, just those little nods to the plight of the student who stays at home, you know, or mm -hmm. indeed the graduate who stays at home, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and the kinds of squabbles you have, you know, now that you're still under your parents' roof, but you're really not a kid, but really you're not in control of your own space. Like those sorts mm -hmm. of like, you know, power struggles um i kind of like that they're using xander to kind of explore some of that yeah um cool so all right uh well i guess at this point we're done with buffy so maybe let's move on to doctor who okay uh and you had a few production notes i think as well 
Yes. Um, I wanted to mention the writer whose name is Simon Nye, um, because this is his only episode, um, at least as of right now. Um, and I kind of think that's a shame because I kind of like this episode. <laughs> uh, so I, I wish they'd bring him back, but, um, and so the other thing is kind of about his background. Um, he was primarily a comedy, like in a sitcom writer. And I think that really shows, you know, there's a lot of humor in this episode. Um, mm. And a lot of the really funny Doctor Who writers do come from sitcoms like Moffat and Toby Whithouse and stuff. And this is another one. So um, just worth noting because we're not going to see an episode from him again. But I think he did a good job on it, so I want to acknowledge him. Um, the other thing is that Karen Gillan was nominated for a Constellation Award for this episode, so mm. her work was celebrated as well. So, where would you like to start? Uh, well, I wanted to sort of start with this whole situation. Mm. Um, where we get uh, what ends up being two dreams, um, yeah. although we don't really know that till the end. Uh, we're told that it's, you know, one of them is reality and one's a dream and they need to choose. Um, with the with the sort of, which is, I thought it was a little interesting the way it's set up because um, in a lot of sort of stories where you get like these dream tales and stuff, you get the mythology of like, if you die in the dream, then you die in real life too. Right. Whereas this one, it was, uh, you had to die in the dream in order to get out of it. Um, and I, and then I like the moment where he goes, ask me what happens if you die in real life. And Rory stupidly <laughs> yeah. asks, and he goes, you die, you idiot. Like, that's why it's Duh, called re that's, that's, that's why it's called reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that um, is a great line. So yeah. I I like I like that. Yeah, that, I thought that was interesting a little bit. Like you, it's not like the choice has to be that you die. Like you have you have to commit to the choice. It's not just right. oh, I think the other one is it. I choose that one. No, you have to. Um, yeah, you have to take the risk and yeah. and jump off the cliff and and pick. You know, pick your poison and hope that you pick the yeah. right one. You know, and truly believe, yeah, yeah, that that's the case. Um, so, I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. You know, but then there's also the sort of the flipping back and forth mm -hmm. uh, between the two, and I mean, obviously, we find out uh, at the end that the Dream Lord is the Doctor. So, right. Uh, you know, my my question, though, as I was sort of first watching it um, was, you know, is he actually controlling when they flip back and forth or is it right. more spontaneous? Because I, I was never quite sure. Like, on the one hand, it seemed like there were times when he definitely was like, oh, you know, especially when, like, he holds Amy sort of back and right. doesn't right. let her go. But but then there are other times where it's like, oh, is it? is there something else? Like, is there some uh, unconscious or subconscious reason for why they're going back and forth? And I wasn't, I don't know that we're ever fully clearly given the answer, except that I guess if it's the doctor, if the dream Lord is the doctor, then he is kind of in the way, like it's all really his dream. Right. Exactly. Like. like, it seems like 
in either way, it's still the subconscious because whether it's the doctor and the others, you know, controlling things or whether it's just the dream Lord, it all comes mm-hmm. out of their own minds, yeah. you know? Um, well, well, and, and it kind and of I suggests if it is the dream Lord, it suggests, I think a higher level of manipulation on the part of the doctor. Like maybe, yeah. maybe unconscious. I don't think he's like, sadistically setting this up like you know to force amy to make like i don't think the doctor's being intentionally cruel but if this is his imagination running rampant (laughs) it suggests some things about the doctor's imagination (laughs) and i think so i guess that was sort of you know one of the things that i was wondering is like the the idea of the two you know worlds like i think the way that it's set up, we're sort of supposed to see it as Rory is kind of, you know, the village. I mean, that's the one that he's sort of advocating. Yeah. Um, And then like, I guess both Amy and the doctor sort of want the other one. I mean, the doctor certainly seems to prefer that. Right. uh, From a, from, from his, sort of words like, oh, you know, I had this terrible nightmare, right. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> like where you guys were married and yeah. Amy was pregnant and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, he doesn't explain all that, but he lets them explain that's it. The and then sort of yeah. is like, yeah. yeah, that's the dream. I, so, but if it's, but I guess I'm not too clear on how much influence they really even have in the dreaming state. Like it seems to be, it seems to be more him than them. But maybe like with a little with some input from each of them right. on yeah. like the specifics or whatever. But like there is a sense, especially in the early, you know, first part where we first see Amy and, and the doctor first comes to the village and that kind of thing, you know, we see her pregnant and whatever. Like there is sort of a sense that the doctor does kind of want them to have that life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like so yeah. in a way, like both like not that not that he wants it right away, but kind of like Amy says, like we we can have that, just we don't have to have it right now. So right. there does sort of seem to be uh and, and he sort of implies with his question about is this uh flashback or is it a flash forward, like what's right. going on? There does sort of seem it like it's not like necessarily that these two think that these two dreams are happening simultaneously like there does sort of seem to be a sense that there's sort of a time shift between them as well right, right. not it just a location be, shift right it could be a a, a timeline thing mm-hmm. yeah so and actually i wondered if that was even a lost reference to the flashing forward or backward it could like, be yeah i don't know like <laughs> if, if there was sort of an intentional because because you don't use the flash forward, flash forward in too yeah. many situations so the the that's what made me wonder but um right yeah so anyway so like i that would sort of be my guess is that yeah like it's really sort of the doctor's dream Mm -hmm. but like in sort of their own little ways amy and rory are influencing maybe yeah you know pieces of it um but but like i think that adds to sort of the complexity because i think i think if it is the doctor's sort of overarching dream, then he really does sort of want both of those things too. Like it's not just Amy's choice. You know what I mean? Like it's also 
the doctor's sort of conflicted about what he wants too. And right. um, Rory never really seems all that conflicted, but um, right, right. Uh, yeah. Rory is sort of the least conflicted of the three, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so I just, cause like, I think there is, there is a sense from the doctor of that he, and he even brings up, you know, like, are we arguing or are we competing? So he's sort of right. acknowledging that yeah, he's, I think the he's doctor, in the competition too. I think the doctor's more aware of that than Rory is, you know, Rory's very sure. set on which is real mm-hmm. and which is preferable. Whereas the doctor may, might be, might feel that, you know, Ledworth is nightmarish but he at least acknowledges the possibility that that's his own prejudice. You know, like he's kind of aware of the fact that do I really disagree with you about this or are we just competing over which life is better and which Amy should choose and all this, you know, are we really competing over Amy? Um, Yeah. Whereas Rory, Um, Rory seems more like instinctual in his like need to convince Amy that Ledworth is the right choice, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, a little surprising to me that Amy doesn't know right away what they're talking about <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. in that, uh, around that competing, like I wasn't, I don't know, but then again, you hear stuff like that, like, and not just, you know, from women, but also from men, like, you know, oh, I never knew he or she had a crush on me or was, right. you know, even like vying for my hand or that kind of thing, you know, like. You do, you do hear that sort of thing from people all the time, like just yeah. the sort of obliviousness to yeah. uh, any romantic feeling or desire on another person's part. Um, so I guess maybe that's not holy, but at the same time, I mean, she does call them my boys right. and she does a fair amount of, you know, her own flirtatiousness with yeah. both of them. So like, um, yeah, even yeah, though you, sorry, sorry go ahead. no, no, finish what you're saying and then I'll go. Well, I was going to say, even though you get earlier in the episode, uh, you know, her, her sort of hitting Rory and saying, you know, it's you, I, you know, I cho- I already chose you, you yeah, don't. You're, you're like, stupid. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and he's like, oh, 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 you did, okay. Like, you still get the sense that, like, there isn't completely... No. <laughs> uh, you know, that that choice isn't completely made. That's just sort of, like, she's almost just saying that because she thinks that that's what's expected of her to say rather than it's actually her choice. And the fact that she needs to be told is conspicuous, you know? Right. Right. Like he doesn't even know that that's her conscious decision. And she's trying to act like, Oh, it's obvious. It's you stupid. But well, no, he's not stupid. Actually, you give mixed signals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, and so, and then even at the end, she, she admits that, I didn't know until right this moment that it actually is him that I want. So, uh, yeah. So I guess that's, you know, and of course the question is if the doctor had died before Rory, there's still a question of like, would she have wanted him then? Like, would that have been her choice? Sure. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to think not because I think, I think we're sort of prompted and want to believe that she's always going to choose Rory. Yeah. But there is sort of that question there. So is it just because, of, yeah. is it because he's the one who left her first and now that's the decision she makes? Right. So I don't know. I'm not a hundred percent sure. She seems sure by the end of the episode and like even 
you know, you get the doctor actively backing away, like, you know, oh, there's a question that's going to occur to Rory and you need to answer it. So, like, I'm yeah. going to recuse myself for a moment while you do that, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, uh, I think you do get a clear choice at the end. I just I guess I'm not wholly convinced that that was like always going to be the choice. No, I think that's perfectly legitimate because so this is what I was going to say that like as much as I think they all do contribute to I think you're right that probably it is to some extent a shared dream that they're all contributing to. I also think that because of the presence of the dream Lord, the doctor probably has the most overt control over, you know, Mm -hmm. of any of them. Maybe he has the most control about what's going on, but you know, the title pretty much tells you that this is really about Amy. And actually, I actually think this is kind of a Buffy ish episode where like, the 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 story is sort of a metaphor for the internal conflict of the character you know it's sort of like mm. so you know in the beast below you get the doctor saying it's this or ledworth let's see what will amy pond choose um so i think we're getting throughout the season these ongoing either or choices um mm. you know so i don't think they're all identical but i think you can see the allegiance between the ones on one side and the ones on the other. So you have like the TARDIS versus Ledworth, the, which is the magical world. This is versus, you know, the mundane everyday world, you know, yeah. childhood, the versus, extremely mundane, the extremely mundane, the, the <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, painfully mundane, the um, yawn inducing. I got pregnant the, because I didn't want to see Oklahoma. Yeah. She got, <laughs> she got pregnant because she was bored. Um, you know, childhood versus adulthood, you know, which also connects to Amelia versus Amy, you know, and all of it basically boils down to the doctor versus Rory, you know? And so I'm not saying that all of those things are exactly equivalent, but I think you can see there's clearly, uh, one side and versus the other, you know, that there's Mm -hmm. kind of an allegiance between the doctor and, you know, he says, you know, he's going to, you know fix Amy's growing up, you know, and he's got the magical TARDIS, whereas, you know, Rory represents Ledworth <laughs> and, you know, having a baby and, and growing and responsibility up and settling down and, yeah, yeah. And, and stability. And sa- and that's one of the things that the Dream Lord says is like, you know, how can, you know, bumbling uh, country doctor Rory possibly compare with, you know, the magical doctor? Well, maybe the safety of Rory is preferable to the kind of loving and losing of the doctor is what he says. Like there's a, you know, there is a stability to Rory, you know, Mm. and like, not that that's his only attribute, but that's one possible attribute, uh, that, that he might have. Um, so I think like the episode and the fact that it comes down to Amy's choice that really, the others are kind of looking to her to, you know, give them an indication, you know, um, and, you know, or even though it's a shared dream, they're sort of waiting for her decision, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of interesting to, uh, talking about the types of dangers that there are, that they kind of are suited to the different worlds too. You get the, like, really bizarre sci-fi Doctor Who. Like, I like that cult, a, a weird new star and only 40 minutes 
you know, left to live and only the doctor to save the day. Like, that's basically the plot of 42. <laughs> like, it, like, yeah. that's well, literally and every the plot other, of it. And every other, you Doctor know. Who episode, pretty much. I um, mean, yeah, except for like, the two-parters, I guess it, it's, you know, four, 84 minutes instead of 42. Anyway, sorry. But, but uh, and then on the other hand, um, I don't know that there's a huge a lot to say about the old people aliens, other than the fact that I just love, love that concept. Because I remember being a little kid and being really scared of really old people. Like, you know, a friend's grandmother <laughs> yeah. who was like, you know, you had that friend's grandmother who was a hundred. And it was like a little terrifying. Um, so I think that's a, one of those like nice mundane fears that kids mm. can kind of latch onto. But I like that. And um, their breath always smells. And, and it comes out. Yeah. Of course, the monster comes out of their mouth because their breath and their teeth are kind of or their lack of teeth are scary but um but i like that as a monster they kind of do represent like that because that's kind of what the fear of ledworth is is aging you know Mm. growing up growing old dying you know right stagnating stagnating and just staying in one place until you get older and eventually you die you know it's and it's not even the growing old and dying but it's the growing old and waiting until you die like that's kind of like yeah, the bucolic yeah. in a bad way, yeah. you know, sort of place. Um, yeah. You know, the the other sort of thing, um, it, it, they're, so the monsters, I think, it, so instead of every man, it's like every monster, right? You know, like this right. is like, you know, the quintessential Doctor Who sort of monster. Uh, and you even get like the plausible explanation, you know, he's like, which he says, oh, entirely plausible. Like, hey, it's credible. Yeah. 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 Like, this, right. This because whole... they're another refugee race and they're right. just trying to survive. And yeah. And, and, and you did, you know, you get this idea that they're just kind of, yeah, like, they're angry and they want to just destroy everyone. You don't really know why. No. <laughs> like, no. like, no. you know, That's they were my, chased. My other favorite you know? line is Rory's. Why are they so desperate to kill us? <laughs> like, there's yeah. no reason. They just Yeah, there really you. isn't a reason. They, you know, someone chased them. So now they're just repeating, you know, the vicious cycle. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, it's like, yeah, there's not always really a good reason for why other aliens come to Earth either. So, right. like, right. again, yeah, it, it's credible. It could actually be the case. So, um, which of course, you know, if it's something that the doctor is making up, of course it's going to have that sort of vague yet seemingly plausible explanation. Like, yeah, like plausible, but, but generic enough that it also could be like, it could be real, but it could be just like, like mm -hmm. you said, every monster, like the most generic idea for a monster ever really. Um, I also love, so when they're in the TARDIS, you know, dream, I, I like when the doctor's like saying, okay, you know, we need to look for things that are out of whack. And they're like, yeah. oh, you mean like we're in a box that's bigger on the inside? And, yeah. you know, there's, you know, all the, like they name off all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, point taken. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, <laughs> and then again, when they get to the, when the dream lord is sort of heckling them that like, oh, what attack of the old people? This is ridiculous. This has to be the dream. Like they're equally sort yeah. of you know, outrageous, but yeah, within, but also but within plausible. Doctor Who, perfectly plausible. Like they yeah. play by the rules of what a Doctor yeah. Who story is. Yeah. 
it's a big universe. I don't know everything in it. Like, yeah. you know, like there's this, there could be a cold star. There could yeah. be old yeah. people aliens. I don't yeah. know. Like, yeah, what's going on here? Um, but so anyway, in the end, yes, I think what's interesting, I mean, what makes it even more interesting is the fact that the fact that they both end up being dreams mm-hmm. to me, and I don't know that this ends the discussion because I think you're right that we're supposed to be a little ambiguous as to how final Amy's decision is, you know, in the long term. But what the ending to me kind of suggests is that maybe all of these dichotomies between these choices are false dichotomies that in the end they're both dreams and Mm -hmm. are they necessarily mutually exclusive you know do we really have to choose all one or all the other you know they kind of find the the loophole you know the get out of jail card and you know amy chooses rory but in doing so she kind of rejects the domestic reality you know she kills herself in the domestic dream to get back to rory you know who was the one who really was wanting to stay there so she doesn't even really choose one world over the other she chooses a person i guess yeah um Um, but in doing so kind of chooses rory and the tardis you know so it's this weird mishmash of the two you know right well and so that was my surprise. Uh, first of all, the, the sort of the double fake, right? Yeah. The, uh, I never once thought that, uh, the village dream was the right, was the right. true one. And you didn't and, think this was actually going to be them in five years. Yeah. Well, I just never, I didn't, I just thought that the whole time that that was a dream one. Yeah. What, when, when, you know, it comes out that the other one is also Dream One. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So, so totally, they, yeah, definitely got me on that sort of fake out. Yeah. Um, the sort of interesting thing, I, and and I think you're right. Like we are meant to see this as a loophole that there is sort of the false dichotomy there. And, but I do think it's interesting because we get this the conversations which despite these being dreams are real conversations between Rory and Amy about what they both want. Right. Um, Things that, you know, should happen before you get married, (laughs) you know, or these types of conversations. Yeah. You should make sure you're on the same page. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of feel like to this point, based on what we know about both Amy and Rory, that they're both kind of just going with, momentum right yeah like like neither one of them seems to like and i don't think that their affections for each other are necessarily false but maybe they're a little inflated as far as like what they both want at this point um you know and so like i like the conversation between amy and rory that they have uh in the tardis dream you know, where, where Amy's saying like, our, our wedding can be tomorrow as long as we want it to be. Like we can continue on this adventure for as long as we want. We don't have to get married right away. But, but then Rory interprets that as, oh, you don't want to get married? Like, yeah, which isn't what she's saying, but 
at the same time, it kind of is what she's saying. She's saying, I don't want to get married, at least not now. Right. And, and that there's still something more that she needs to discover about herself. And I feel like that that conversation obviously needs to happen. But also, I feel like Rory hears that at mm-hmm. the end. Because when Amy does make the decision, like, and, and, he, and it's kind of interesting that he doesn't remember what happened in the other dream, like how he died and, and that sort of stuff. But um, he does seem to remember at least subconsciously that conversation because, you know, at the end it's, you know, what do we do next? Well, it's Amy's choice. Like he, right. he's backing off because like, like you said, like the whole rest of the episode, he's either he is convinced or he at least wants to be convinced mm-hmm. that the village dream is the one. And in that way, he's actively trying to push Amy into that mode. Yeah. And, and, but by the end he's saying, you know what, even though that's what I want, I'm willing to wait until you're ready for that. And, and that seems to be, if there's sort of the growth moment um, that we get from Rory, I mean, I would say the growth moment from Amy is making the choice, but again, we can sort of question how valid or long lasting that may be. Yeah. And I don't mean to, say that she made it insincerely i think she made it completely sincerely but i i still there's still a part of me that says maybe it's 99.9 percent versus 100 percent right you know um but i think for rory the the growth here is that willingness to take a step back and and be okay with what amy's sort of choosing now um and hoping that eventually they'll get to the thing that he wants, but, but knowing that he can't really kind of force her down that road, especially if she's not ready and is waiting to, you know, and is trying to figure out, you know, precisely who she is and what she wants and and all of that. So. Yeah. And um, just like, um, just like in the end, she doesn't really choose one world versus the other she chooses to be where Rory is that's kind of the point is he's not here so I have to go over there you know that's kind of how she makes her choice that's kind of him at the end is well wherever Amy is is fine it doesn't matter if it's not you know in the nice idyllic little village you know or at least not yet you know if if she wants to be somewhere else then we'll go with her and that's okay Mm -hmm. you know like that like kind of confirmation of choosing the person over like where you happen to be, you know, what kind of living situation you're in. Yeah. Um, and of course the dramatic gesture of cutting off his ponytail. Yeah. <laughs> I was starting to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I know the look on his face when she said like, that. Oh like, no. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can always grow up back, I guess. Uh, well, I'm and, okay with him cutting it off though. <laughs> yeah. It's not a great ponytail. Um, no, uh, no. So I like that, like you get the, that's the kind of traditional jump forward in time thing is like, everyone has to change something physically, you know? So like you have to do something that makes them look five years. So like the ponytail and Amy's like ridiculous, big pregnant belly, you know? And I love the way she kind of waddles everywhere. Like she can't Mm -hmm. quite. Yeah, she can we not do the running she thing? She can't run anymore, and, you know, uh, she, like, gets up from the bench really slowly and everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, 
So Amy and Rory. Okay. Um, I mean, I think we've hit them up, but now the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I mean, just going back to like the whole, you know, if he is sort of controlling the dreams, like, yeah, it, it's kind of weird. Like, what is he going for here? Like, <laughs> is there, you know, is, is this, is this, uh, uh, indication that his own mind is split like what you know about what he wants for his companions and right and if so like what does it sort of indicate because i i think it's interesting that well i guess in terms of like the other things that we've seen about like him and amy right like with her trying to seduce him and uh uh or not, I don't know if seduce is even quite the right word. Like, you know, the hit her sort of pursuit. And then like, you know, him going to Rory and bringing him on. But then like, right. This seems to imply that maybe there is sort of a part of him. See, I guess I don't know. Like maybe he doesn't want right. to be with her romantically, but does want to sort of have her with him to Rory's detriment. You know, if not in a romantic way, at least in a still sort of possessive way of some type. Well, am, and so I, am I. Yeah. So here's kind of a question is like, if we concede that the Dream Lord is controlling this. And so this is all to serve to some extent the doctor's subconscious at play. Um, I guess the question is. Do you think that he, and if we concede the fact, which isn't entirely obvious, that this is really all about Amy's choice? You know, maybe there's a sense in which the doctor is conflicted himself between these choices of, mm -hmm. you know, traveling or settling down. But if we're sticking with Amy for now, that it's Amy that's supposed to choose, do you think that the doctor wants her to choose him, or does he want her to choose Rory? You know, like... Is there, you know, and I don't know that I know the answer. I mean, because there's a sense in which he is competing with Rory, you know, and he knows it and he's aware of that. But there's also the the sense in which he went and deliberately brought Rory here so that, you know, to try to help them stay together. So it could be like a, a you know a setup to get her to realize kind of her feelings for Rory. Um, mm -hmm. Either way, it makes the doctor, again, possessive, like you said. Like, there's yeah. still a possessive element to it, no matter possessive what. There's still and, a level of manipulation, yeah. no matter yeah. what it is that he's yeah. going for. Yeah, I and I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it was, is my basic answer. So, yeah. here's the thing, because, like, it's not, I don't know if it's even a competition between him and Rory so much as a competition between them and oh. Rory or them and him, them being with him and them not being with him. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like that seems to be the competition because in the TARDIS, both Rory and Amy are still there. Right. Like, it's not like, Rory right. isn't there with them. Um, right. 
And in the village thing, it's he's coming back after having been away for five years, which I like that they sort of bring up, you know, this idea that, you know, he just abandons his companions typically. Like he doesn't really see them again, which isn't wholly true because they did all come together, you know, in the big Russell Davies finale. Sure. No, (laughs) it's not. It's not wholly true. But it's largely but true. But it's largely like, true. You yeah, know, like, there's a, there's an awful lot of classic series companions, you know, where we only yeah, saw yeah, yeah. Sarah Jane. You know, we he doesn't, that we know of, right. frequently visit the others. And um, I won't say one way or the other whether we'll see any of the Russell Davies companions again, but it's not at all guaranteed that he will, you know? Right. So right. I no, think it, and... it doesn't mean that he completely cuts them off but there is this sense of like i think that's a pretty there's some meat on that critique of yeah no i i do as well and i didn't i mean i i was sort of joking when i referred to that because obviously that's extenuating circumstances in many many ways um no but i love that i love that that little cheeky moment of you know me i don't just abandon people when they leave the tardis you don't get rid of your pal the doctor so easily (laughs) then she's like you came here by mistake yeah (laughs) right and and there is that sense so like you know jack right is the one who like sought him out and jumped onto the tardis yeah waited around for a hundred years yeah you, you know there is this sense that yeah, that's absolutely true. Unless people actively seek him out or he happens to run into them uh, in, in you know, pursuit of something else. Like, there's not any right. additional contact ever again. No, and we like, don't ever, even with the, with the Davies companions, we don't ever see him go out of his way to, like, rekindle old friendships. It is more either they call call on him, like... Jack waiting for him or Martha calling him to help with unit or something or river song or river song or Rose, he doesn't you know, know, you know who it is when yeah, it's calling, river you know, calling, when she's him calling or Rose crossing her parallel universes. Like they're all finding him or it's like circumstantial. Like there, there's a crisis and they end up kind of getting the band yeah. back together and working together. But it's not right. like you see him calling up on, Jack or Martha, you know, to or even like he runs into Wilf several times and it's all sort of accidental, right. you know, like, yeah. you know, it's except for when like he's well, no, I guess even when like Donna is sort of the officially the companion and stuff, you know, they do go back to Earth and they see, you know, Sylvia and Wilf a couple of times. But it's yeah, it's always like when the Earth is in crisis, it's not, yeah. or, you know, because they're going home to visit family or or, you know? or, or, or or when Donna wants to go home, you know, it's because she goes home for a visit that that Wilf gets stuck in the poison car. Like it's not because the doctor wants to go; it's because he's with the companion, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think I think that's one of those things that like this is like one of those things like the like the new series expanding the companions so that we see their family lives. This is one mm-hmm. of those things that. I think was always just taken for granted in the classic series. The fact that once the companions leave, they don't come back for the most part. Couple notable exceptions, but for the most part, when they're gone, they're gone and you get new companions. So the new series doesn't 
it, it plays by that rule, but it also kind of questions it. Like, it kind of wants to say, like, okay, why is that? You know, why doesn't he go back? And I guess the question, as always, is do we believe, you know, the villain in the episode, the Dream Lord, you know, who's the Doctor's dark side, you know, who kind of says uh, they're not really your friends and, you know, kind of calls him on the fact that he doesn't stay in touch with them and says, like, you deliberately seek out new young people because you're old and it makes you feel better to be with the young. You know, that that's kind of a pathological need to get, you know, to to ditch your old friends and get young, hot new friends, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So all of that said, again, yeah, like it seems like the choices that the doctor sort of sets up are different from his perspective than from Amy's perspective, I guess that, right. That for him, it's, it's really are Amy and Rory together with him or mm-hmm. are Amy and Rory together without him. Right. And so, which is an interesting question, I think in itself, um, because I, I think Amy's choice is still just as valid. Yeah. Which is pretty much the doctor or Rory, but I think from his perspective, if if you take that as being his question, yeah, then it goes back to sort of the struggle of you know him going through the specials, the Russell Davies specials mm-hmm. of being alone, and then the decision in you know this first episode to ask Amy to come with him, um, the first episode of of series five, yeah, where you know he says to her and and she sort of pulls out of him you know like why do you want me to come with you and and he's like it's because i was lonely I, you know i talked to myself like got kind yeah. of bothersome like i i want it you know i i don't like being alone anymore i'm just looking for a companion and and she's like are you sure are you sure that's all you're asking for so which sort of implies even when she first got in like she wasn't looking for anything romantic or anything either like that right. she actually was considering the fact that she was getting married the next day and was not wanting, you know, like that, like she, she wanted to make sure it wasn't like him being creepy and wanting, yeah. you know, some kind of relationship with the person he just met kind of thing. Right. Um, so, so I don't know, I guess, but yeah, again, it just kind of goes back to that question of more like, does he, is he better off traveling with people than without them right. sort of seems to be what he's setting up for his own sort of question yeah. in that, in that way. So yeah. Yeah. Better to have the companions with you, but well, I, I suppose they're in danger in both realities, but like, you know, with you in danger broadly in the TARDIS or settled and safe in their right. own life. But then they're not with him. And you even get that reference to, you know, the, I think kind of an oblique reference to the specials when he says at the end, like, um, otherwise I'm stuck with my own company and you know how that works out. And it's like, yeah. Amy doesn't know how that works out. She doesn't know anything about the waters of Mars, you know, or whatever. But I think that's the doctor and, and that's kind of a nod to the audience. Like we know what happens when mm-hmm. he's stuck with his own company. Um, and it doesn't yeah. work out well generally, um, but yeah. then you also get that sense too of, uh, you know, the fact of him 
you know, wanting to keep them safe, but also, you know, feeling like he's responsible for them, you know, that when it's kind of a tough moment at the end when Rory, even though I think you're right, I think you, certainly I and you, and I think most people believe that the Ledworth is a dream. And so you're pretty sure when Rory dies that it's not like for reals death, you know? Right, right, right. Um, But, (laughs) you know, as a moment to kind of explore Amy and the doctor's relationship, there's that really tough moment when, you know, she says, you know, save him. And he says, I can't always, you know? Um, Mm, And she says, then what's the point of you? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, like there's no point beyond his ability to, you know, if, if you're not saving people, you're not worth it. You know, that's, that's your purpose. That's your point. You know, it's kind of a, yeah. And it's harsh. I mean, but that's obviously not wholly true either. I mean, that's just her perspective in the moment of losing someone that she loves. But I think the, the, the dream Lord is pretty harsh in this. Like he's a nasty he says some nasty things to the doctor. So when you realize that it's all the doctor, it kind of gives you some insight into his own perception yeah. of himself, you know? And I think when yeah. Mary's, or sorry, when Amy says, you know, what's the point of you? I think that's like kind of in line, you know, certainly I don't think the doctor would maybe disagree with her in that moment. Even if we do like, mm. you know, we see more value in the doctor than, than just that but i think this a lot of the stuff in this episode is his like exploration of his own like self-loathing <laughs> which is kind of disturbing um yeah, yeah well no and and that's that's interesting because um you know the doctor the doctor says to the dream lord which is weird when you think about it because he's talking to himself you know he goes i know who you are the dream lord says of course you don't Doctor, of course I do. Mm-hmm. No idea how you can be here, but there's only one person in the universe who hates me as much as you do. Yeah. And and your mention of self-loathing, self-loathing right yeah. then, I mean, that's ex- that's exactly what this is. This is, you know, I mean, if your dreams are sort of your, you know, psychological exploration of your thoughts and experiences throughout the day, this is, you know, that ramped up you know, times 10,000 for the doctor, it's his exploration of his own, you know, sort of hatred for the things that he's had to do or the things that he's done, or even, even the private thoughts that you have that maybe you don't even fully 100% believe, but everyone has those thoughts where you think, you know, upon reflection of the thoughts, like, wow, I'm such a horrible person for having had that thought. You know what I mean? Like, like even if, maybe it's not really who you are. Just the fact that you have a thought that is so terrible. And so I don't know, you know, it could be anything. It could be racist. It could be misogynistic. It could be just something against a person who you don't really dislike, but maybe just is a terrible thought about Mm -hmm. people in general. You know what I mean? Like, you know, everyone has those sorts of things from time to time. And so this is sort of the doctor's, you know, and, and, you know, how much of it is sort of exacer- exacerbated by this mind parasite of the, the pollen, the psychic pollen. Uh, but, you know, there, 
it yeah. seems like it's one of those things that like it doesn't just make stuff up on its own. Right. It like has to be there already. And yeah. even if it's amplifying it, it's it's not, you know, it can't ever really lie. It can maybe just sort of distort or 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 again, amplify the truth a bit. But um, anyway, yeah, um, I also wanted to talk about because I think the dream Lord. So we get, you know, sort of the doctor and the dream Lord talking to each other, which is the doctor basically talking to himself. <laughs> um, but I also want to point out sort of the conversation that he then has with Amy. Yeah. Uh, alone, you know, when they're, when it's just the two of them. So this is like Amy and the part of the doctor that you never get to see. Right. right. So uh, I like, I like when she's sort of like, Oh, you know, tell me the truth and you know sometimes it takes the doctor a while but you know he's he always comes around and and but he won't tell me who you are and so the dream lord says oh is is that who you think you are the one he trusts mm. and and amy's like well yes actually uh the only girl in the universe to whom the doctor tells everything yes you know so what's his name he says and <laughs> it's like there's that pause in the moment like oh well here's this obvious thing that he hasn't told me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This obvious and, thing that never probably occurred to her, but then you realize right. how much is hidden, you know? Well, and you do go back and, and she's like, cause when they first meet, well, maybe not first meet, cause when, when she's first grown up, I think, right. Doesn't she say like the doctor, just the doctor, like is, there isn't anything more. Am, am I remembering that right? Or uh, is that not her? Who does that? Uh, I don't remember. She or may- could have. Um, anyway. They so, usually all have that moment of like, wait, you don't have any other name other than that, you know? Right. Yeah. And then they just sort of accept it. Yeah, and then he just, no, no, it's just the doctor. Um, but then, uh, you know, you know, the other thing that the Dream Lord says is... is uh, Poor Amy, he always leaves you, doesn't he, alone in the dark, never apologizes. And she's like, well, he doesn't have to. That's good, because he never will. Like, like he just keeps pressing that point. Yeah. Like, like, there's not only other things he's not ever going to tell you, but there's also ways he's going to act, and he's not going to care about it. Like, he's not even going to take into consideration. He's not even feelings. sorry about it, yeah. Like, yeah, he's not going to, you know... Or, or if he does, he's never going to acknowledge that he does. Right. You know what I mean? Like that it's that he's just going to go on, you know, in this way. And I don't know. I mean, because again, like there's a certain veracity to all of that, yeah. you know, with regard to the doctor. But, you know, at the same time, like this is like the extreme part, right? So this is the, while there is truth behind it, it's like, but there's more to him than just that. Right, so, right. so like, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I know what he's trying to get at here. Like, is he trying to scare her away? Is he trying to influence the decision that she's going to make? Because what does, what happens, you know, what is that? Like, is he trying to force her to go to the other way, you know, to, to choose, right the yeah. the one where the doctor isn't as present in her life um or yeah not. i mean so i guess I it, it does come back to that question of is the doctor trying to uh you know 
manipulate Amy into a particular choice here? Or is this just the unfiltered airing of all his nastiest impulses? Mm. You know, he could just be taunting her just to be cruel because that's what this parasite does. You know, is take all your sort of nastiest thoughts and say them out loud, you know? Um, or, you know, if this is like representing a choice that the doctor wants, you know, to be made... It could be, you know, kind of a disillusioning her of her, you know, mm. her, of her ideals of what being with the doctor means or what being a companion means or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, I don't know. And then if, if you look at, you know, the doctor in, in his dream being sort of the conscious doctor's thoughts, you know, it's, oh, yes, clearly I want the companion to be with me and that's why I'm arguing for this world, you know, whatever. Right. But if, if the dream Lord is the subconscious of the doctor, then, you know, maybe it is that, you know, that it's not so much that he wants Amy and Rory to have the idyllic life. It's more, he's just pushing her away from him, you know, right. from being with him. Like, it's not, it's not that he, it's not that he wants her to go towards something good. It's that he wants her to go away from something bad. Right. Um, right. Or, or again, more self punishment, self loathing, you know, preventing, you know, mm -hmm. driving away a good companion, you know, yeah, yeah, just out of oh. his own, you know, failures. And, you know, the fact that he, you know, is secretive, and he is selfish, and he's not going to apologize, you know, he's kind of telling her telling her all the, the ugly truths, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, if she listened to it, he might, you know, drive her away. Yeah, yeah. But then it would be her choice, and it wouldn't be right. his fault that she left. It would be her fault. Um, right, right. And, yeah. and we get that, you know, again, we get the Dream Lord explaining, you know, oh, they'll, they'll listen to you if, if you only choose. You know, Amy's yeah. been Amy's choice. Um, and it's you they're waiting on. Which is, again, it's interesting because the implication there is that they'll both listen to her choice. Like right. they'll accept it. And again, it's not, it's not that she'll go with one and leave the other. It's whatever happens. Yeah. They'll both still kind of be involved in that decision. So it's right. Again, well, it's not the... wholly a choice between the two men. It's really between the situation. Right. And you get the doctor. He does follow along with her in that. Yep. Like he's not really, 100% convinced that this is the right thing to do, but it seems like in this instance, he totally decides to go with what Amy chooses and, yeah. you know, and doesn't really put up much of an argument about that. Yeah. Um, which I kind of always read that as being, you know, in light of the, the kind of guilt of his inability to save Rory. You know, that mm. I read that as the reaction to the what's the point of you line of, of, well, I couldn't save Rory, so the least I can do is trust your decision, you know, and not kind of take control, but, you know, yeah. sort of st step back and let you, you know, make your choice kind of thing. Which which validates uh, what the Dream Lord says is that they'll listen to you once right. you make the choice. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, very very interesting there. But, uh, I want to make sure we don't we don't forget to mention the uh, 
Elizabeth the first uh, references. Oh, yeah. Loves well. a redhead, yeah. <laughs> Loves a redhead. Yeah, yeah. continued about... references to Elizabeth yeah. the first. Um, just kind of a funny mention there. Anyway, yeah. uh, sorry, I think you had maybe a, a real question or comment. <laughs> um, well, just in the moment of the end, um, I know there's been, so, and I don't know whether this, you know, occurred to you to think about this, so sorry to put you on the spot, but I know one line of criticism of this episode is the kind of, um, the way suicide is used as a kind of means yeah. to fix it. And I, and especially I think people find issue with it because of the pregnancy, you know, the fact that if she uh, was wrong, not only would she hmm. risk, you know, her life and the doctors, but potentially a baby as well. So I didn't know if that had occurred to you. I think, you know, I don't know that everyone, it's not like it has ruined the episode for most people, but I know I see that as a yeah a, a frequent issue for people, you know. And I think in general, in fiction, sometimes there's a annoying tendency for suicide to be used as a fix it in like sci-fi scenarios and stuff that's sometimes a little you know frustrating do you think people have more of a problem with suicide in this episode than they do with river song killing herself i think so because i would i would think most people read rivers as more of a self-sacrifice of someone has to do this and so she's putting herself in place of the doctor whereas i think rory's gone you know rory's ash and he's left this world so for amy to sort of then risk their lives is sort of maybe less necessary you know she's not like it's not even like the doctor taking wilf's place there's a sense I think that and like Rivers would be more the kind of yeah. take the place of somebody else. Whereas I think people see this as more a kind of, you know, if 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 my lover dies, I don't want to live without him kind of thing. I think that's sure. the issue that people have. And especially when you throw in uh, the, the pregnancy as well. Sure. You know. Um. And it could be a mark of her kind of still slight immaturity you know like you know that there's a sense that maybe that is a little bit like dramatic of you know rory's gone yeah and, yeah, but, yeah but then you do have the conceit of they're they know they're in a dream they know they have to kill themselves to wake up so you know i don't know that it is quite as troubling as it might be you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the first, that was the first sort of thought that came to my mind when you asked the question. I mean, I, I, I see how people could take Rivers' self-sacrifice, you know, in a sort of more heroic way. But I guess at the same time, so I don't think the, the doctor trading places with Will is the same because the doctor knows he can regenerate. So I don't. Even though, I mean, it's very, and actually just watched that episode over the weekend with my daughter and I was sitting there bawling, you know, by the time he got to the, I don't want to go line. So, I mean, 
that yeah, totally no, and, and affects me emotionally and all that too. No, like, I don't want to be like definitely taking that death metaphorically rather than literally. He yeah. doesn't literally die, yeah. you know. But but we do get we still get the explanations of that. He sees that as a death, like, and yeah. it's it is deliberate. It is a suicide. There's no doubt about that because if I mean the choice is either to let Wilf out or not let Wilf out, and and he, it's a decisive you know, thing that he does. So I don't want to minimize that necessarily either, but, but there is the idea that the doctor doesn't really quite die. Definitely. Definitely. Um, But I would, I would put River, I don't, I would put River closer to something like that where she, he's going to do it anyway. And so she's saving him by taking his place, you know, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and maybe there's a way in which you could read Amy as saving Rory by choosing a world. You know, by making a choice, that's her way of saving him, you know? Yeah. Not, I, not, I think people who have issues read it in this kind of, you know, suicidal despair over having lost Rory. But I don't know that that's necessarily what's going on, you know? Yeah, I think, I think a couple of things. I think, first of all, It's hard. It's always been hard for me to understand the argument of like, you know, there, there, there's sort of like, you know, the there, there's people. I, suicide's a terrible thing. Yeah. And and clearly, like, you know, you don't want people to get to that state where they feel like the only thing that they have left is nothing, and that killing themselves is better than not doing so. On the same token, for me personally, I've always had sort of a problem with people looking down or or diminishing the feelings of people who are in that state who either attempt or or succeed in in committing suicide. And there is, I think, a tendency to say it's a childish act. It's a selfish act. It's, uh, you know, something that, you know... Well, if you would only have done X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. then you know you wouldn't have had to kill yourself. I think that's a too simplistic sure. solution to those kind of things. And 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 you know, with Robin Williams' recent, uh, you know, suicide, there there's been a lot of stuff about that. But I mean, yes. that's something that that I've seen in a number of places. Um, I will go on to say that I've never personally known anyone who's committed suicide. So. It could be that if I did, uh, you know, have that experience of someone close to me, you know, committing or, or trying to commit suicide, like that my options could change. I mean, I totally understand that, too. I guess my point is in saying that maybe from a personal perspective, I I have less of a problem with it because I. It's for me, it's hard for me to to judge how badly someone else feels and even if even if it is sort of true that in the general case a lot of times those feelings are temporary and can be gotten over like i don't know maybe it's a libertarian thing maybe it's just i don't want to make that judgment for other people i don't i don't want to be the one to say you're committing suicide is is 
definitively wrong in every situation. Hmm. That's not to say uh, that I support it or that like that like I don't think, but I I definitely see. I guess I'm sort of have an imaginative enough of a mind to see where there are there are reasons why it would be completely valid. Now is Amy's committing suicide because she just lost her lover valid, you know, in the sense that, well, I mean, there's a 50, 50 chance, you know, and I like, think that's, I, <laughs> I think, I think the problem would be a kind of episode, which does, uh, you know, in, endorse or romanticize it, you know, whereas I think yeah. this episode does have a clear conceit of they, there is this sense of like, we know the setup of they have to choose one or the other. They know they're stuck in an illusion. So, yeah. you know, there is the chance that, you know, it, in that sense, it is more the less suicide and more the leap of faith, you know, less, yeah. less a deliberate. She's not deliberately killing herself. She is taking a risk and trusting that she's making the right choice, you know, so yeah. it doesn't feel... I think to call it kind of a suicidal despair, it would be like a mischaracterization of what her Amy's choice is, you know, because yeah. she's not choosing death. She's choosing life with the very right. real possibility that she could be wrong, but that she, she could doesn't make the think wrong she choice. is, you know? Yeah. So, and, and it's not, it's not the first time that we've been presented with a life or death choice, you know, in Doctor yeah. Who. Yeah, so, and, we've I mean, had, and we've had, you know, people, there's, I, I, and I don't know that I brought it up, but people said similar things about, like, Donna in Turn Left, you know, or, you know, or Pete, yeah. or whatever, um, you know. Yeah. But again, would... there's, like, there's, again, there's that sense that, yes, Donna is, you know, choosing to kill herself, but also saving the world in the process. It's not a despairing notion it's a it's a hopeful choice you know she's doing it you know but i mean i think people every time you kind of depict that in fiction you're gonna have those questions come up i think yeah um i mean and of course the obvious follow-up to that then is the doctor making the same like is do people have the same problem with the doctor's action of blowing up the tardis you know immediately right. after that so right, like right exactly yeah, you know, yeah. Well, and that's true. That's very true. Like if and if they don't, then I think that's a huge, you know, yeah. uh case of hypocrisy. Yeah. But but even if if they do, like again, like at that point the doctor is convinced it's a dream. Right. So like is it really suicide versus like you said right. like leap of faith? But then so and, was Amy. She was pretty convinced as well, you know. But Where, it but it but again, you have, you, you've had other, like, I mean, there, there have been times where the doctor says, I don't know if this is going to work. We could all die right. by my doing this. <laughs> right. Like at, when it's not a dream or right. not, and not even presented as the possibility of being a dream. Right. And it's, do you trust me? Yes. So I think, I think in this instance, that's how I choose to view it. I mean, yeah. I think that's how I sort of just viewed it initially, but I think, in thinking it through and, and based on your questions, yeah. I'm also sort of explicitly choosing to view it, you know, no, in that way. So that's, that's good because I think I've always sort of naturally felt that way, but never really thought about why. So that even helps me kind of clarify, like, 
why I don't really have a real moral problem with the end of the episode, I think. And I think it is a huge hole to then not say something similar about the Doctor, you know. Kind of a a double standard there. Yeah. Well, and if it's the pregnancy thing, you know, then, I mean, there, that brings up whole other issues, yeah. I guess. But I, I, I don't know because, I mean... I guess technically Amy and the doctor sort of both make the decision to commit suicide. Right. But it's only one of them who's actually driving the van. And right. also like, I mean, again, if it's, if it's a pregnancy thing, like, I mean, there is, I guess a sense that like, she's also sort of killing the baby, but then it was a dream. So the baby was never actually alive. So like there's right. this sort of paradoxical thing going on. Right. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't feel like this is endorsing. I I understand how people can sort of take the language that Amy says, you know, oh, I'd, if he's not in this world, then I don't want to be either and blah, blah, blah. But I don't, right. I don't see this. I don't see this at all as endorsing, like, you know, sort of the, the commonplace, uh, you know, teen or even preteen, you know, emotive right sensibilities you know like i right. can't live without I, him kind of thing yeah i i actually i sort of intuitively or or subconsciously i think viewed it as this is a growing up moment for amy mm -hmm. so i i think in a way it's it's actually uh you know pretty much the antithesis of that sort of uh you know emotive uh thing so yeah um that it is meant to be a decision and that it is meant to be a clarifying moment for Amy, not, not, uh, overpowering emotionally, you know, moment. Um, yeah. even though it is, even though it is emotional, I don't think it's, it's in that way of like, you know, the emotions take over. And so you lose all sensibility. I think it's, it's that along with the emotion, there, there comes a clarity and it makes it, uh, you know, explicit and and deliberate in her mind about who she really wants right um yeah I, that's that's how i've pretty much read it as well I yeah that may be up. just that may be a big wad of just ex post facto uh <laughs> you know deliberation on my part so you know that's fine i'm okay with that if it's rationalization then so be it but anyway <laughs> um <sighs> well Anything okay. else before we wrap up? No, I, I like this episode. I like that there were a few little twists. I Actually, I did want to mention one thing that um, I, I said to you around the cinematography of the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, which reminded me, actually, of another Joss Whedon production. Uh, well, yeah, I guess production is the right word. Um, so this past April, uh, he released a movie uh, from Bellwether Studios, Bellwether Pictures, uh, which uh, is the same studio from which he released his Much Ado About Nothing. Mm -hmm. um, the movie In Your Eyes is actually a movie that he wrote apparently in like his late 20s back in like the early 90s and uh, was sort of sat around for a while and then he dusted off and did some rewrites and, and produced it. Uh, he didn't direct it. It was directed by Brynhild um who it had directed like one other movie before, like what, not a big name or anything, but, yeah. uh, 
as far as the cinematography goes, it actually reminded me of it because um, in this episode of Doctor Who, we get the, you know, the very cold and blue and sort of dark TARDIS world. And then we get the fuzzier orange Mm. slash yellowy, you know, lighter, softer, um, you know, village world. And... Uh, that very much is similar to In Your Eyes, the movie where um, y- y- the the story takes place between, you know, the two protagonists who are sort of on opposite sides of the country. Um, one of them being in New Hampshire, sort of in the wintertime, where, again, you get this sort of bluish, cold, snowy, you know, lighting and, and effects. And then the other one being in New Mexico, where you get this sort of deserty orange and brown and bright sun and, yeah. you know, all of these kind of things. So um, and, and both of those sort of highlight different aspects of character and have sort of different meanings and context. But I thought just sort of the form and the way that they chose to tell the story, yeah. uh, you know, using those. Well, sort of enhance the story, I guess, through those sort of lighting and and visual uh, choices was was very similar. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, there's something kind of like vivid and exotic and everything about the TARDIS, like the the lighting and everything. Whereas the Ledworth is so sleepy; it's just warm and comfortable. Yeah. And you just want to take a nap, you know. Like <laughs> it's a place yeah, to well, sort of relax, and it it has that very you know. And the baby's room is all in yellow, and everything's mm-hmm. like and uh you know the the types of you know lenses and filters that they use really make it like sunny and just warm and inviting and everything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. Good I don't stuff. St- story wise, I don't know that there's really um, a lot in common, but uh, just thought that the that that was interesting. The cinematography angle of that, um, yeah. So, which you know, again, sort of going back to our uh, intent of trying to do more about yeah, speaking around the the visual that stuff aspects. Stuff is there for a reason. Yeah, none of that yeah. is accidental. No, no. So cool. All right. Well, good stuff. We'll, uh, of course, be back again next week with some more Doctor Who and uh, some Angel this time around. So until then. See you then.